Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to Calling All Beings and the Experiencer Roundtable. We're about to get it. We've been on a break. We missed each other. Nathan even missed me. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. Welcome back. I'm, I'm your host, DJ Alone. My co-host, there he is, Money Nathan. How you doing, brother? Good, DJ, man. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. All right. Everybody get ready to say, you know what we're going to say, Akashi Chris, our associate producer. <laughs> Hi everyone! So excited for Happy Saturday! Peace. Our, our, our UAP humorous antagonist, the one and only. There, ain't, there ain't nobody like this man. So put your hands together for Flarius Kevin. Woo I'm clapping for myself. Yes, yeah. good job. And our researcher can contextualizer another person along with nathan who brings a modicum of seriousness to this topic in this group slap Hello your hand everyone. down to the table <laughs> I'm here. that is at devs at a study of uaps and now nathan it's our distinct honor to yes. bring on the real the real mm -hmm. our experience around table we're going to start out with my brother from alabama mm -hmm. put your hands together for the Ronnie Van Zant of UAPs, David John Lanier. Yes. Yeah. What's up, brother? All right. How are y'all? All right. It's good to see you, man. I'm glad you're bald like me. I got one love for that. Yes. Showing it. All right. And uh, coming up next, we're going to bring on one of your fellow experiencers who you're going to get to interview today. Uh, the muscles from from actually the muscles from Peterborough, uh, the UK's own with a fantastic um, experience to share with you guys. Party people put your hands together for the actor, the uh, the man of many different disciplines, Maxi McCabe. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, look at that beard. King Leonidas. King Leonidas in the house, man. Look at that. He's doing some pull-ups on the stairs earlier. Look at that. Everybody, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Max. Good to see you, brother. Uh, we're going to see him in the UK before too long, probably the end of summer. Uh, next, we want to bring up uh, a new member of the Anom Anomalous Podcast Network under uh, my man chilling with McGrillin, Andy McGrillin, Dan. Uh, Vinny, uh, Graham, Dave, forgive me if I forgot anybody. I think that's everybody, right, Nathan? I think that's right. Yeah. That's it. All right. Everybody put them hands together for the quantum witch, Priscilla. Hello. How are you? Yeah. Woo. Yes. Yes, I know her. Welcome. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right and and uh last and uh and definitely not least the og i want to everybody to put their hands together for the cia's own my brother in the gov put them hands together for mr john ramirez Woo! 
Yeah! Give it up! So, <laughs> so welcome to the Experience Roundtable. Nathan's going to get you guys right into the zone. We'll go in a circular uh, fashion as if we are at a Knights of the Roundtable. If you could, uh, uh, Max, you need to put that sword in the middle so it's pointing, you know, towards the center. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Nathan. Yeah, it's great to see everybody here. Uh, my fellow cabbies who are stepping off stage, good to see y'all. We'll see y'all a little bit later. See you later, loves. Bye. Yep, you guys will get to ask some questions of our friends and our experiencers. All right, so I know everyone here has been uh, given the roundtable structure, uh, but for the sake of our audience who may not be as familiar with that, I thought I would just kind of detail how this will go. Um, as DJ mentioned, we will go in a clockwise uh, fashion. I think that's right, DJ. Well, if being that we're we're are we if we're not counterculture anymore, I guess we can go clockwise now. We, we can go counterclockwise. So, yeah. yeah, either one is fine. So why, why yeah. don't we do that because it makes more logical sense. So Max, you okay. would go first, then David, John, and Priscilla. That will be our order uh, for this evening. Uh, so each of our panelists will get a five-minute uh, block of time to introduce themselves and introduce a, a topic or question that they would like uh, us to discuss or their fellow panelists, panelists to discuss. And then each panelist will get a two-minute block of time to respond to, uh, to that question or topic. Uh, we'll do that four times, and once we get through those four times, it's at that point where we will have an open block of time for discussion. So very much looking forward to this. And of course, those who are watching in the chat, if you have questions, feel free to post those as well. We've got folks in the chat taking a look at that. And if we have time, we will certainly try to get to those questions as well. So with all of that out of the way, why don't we get started? Um, Max, I'm going to start your clock. And then when you see the timer on the bottom, that means you've got two minutes left uh in in that block of time okay and and just one more thing so uh after when it gets to the uh the part uh, all of you will get to uh, speak with max about his experience if you have time left over and you want to yield that time to another panelist feel free to do so anybody's allowed to yield time or ask for time from anybody yeah, yeah, we'll definitely cool. try to keep track of that too. So if you have you, if you've made your points and want to want to move on, then you're you're welcome to do that. We can whoever is next can just take up the time that you have remaining. So, all right. So with that being said, let me get David back on screen here. Welcome back, David. All right. So Max, kick it away. Hey, well, um, for me and my family, because we were all affected by what happened to us. Um, we were just getting on with our lives back in late September, early October 2014. So it's been some years now. Um, and my daughter and our neighbor were out in front of the house and they, they saw some balls of light in the sky making patterns, formations, which then shot off at high rates of speed. And uh, a night later, I was in the garden um, and the same thing happened for me. And it's, to summarize this in five minutes, I'll go as quick as I can briefly through this. Um, but I was looking up at the sky late one night um, and had a double flashes of light lit up the sky as if there was lightning. Um, as I thought, there's no clouds, there's no humidity, there's no way it's lightning. It happened again. I looked straight up and above me were these two balls of self-luminous light, light, just two spheres of balls of light just traveling over my head, broke left at a 90 degree, made a 90 degree turn and shot off so fast that they left trace lines. So I ran through the house um, to the front, the direction they traveled, which was in a southerly direction. Um, couldn't see anything. So I noticed the time was 
at that point, 10 or 11 minutes past 4 a.m. So I just thought, great, I'd seen what my daughter and our neighbor had seen. So I went to come in the house. And as I came in, locked the door, went to go upstairs to bed. Um, I was stopped in my tracks by what can only be described as uh, telepathic instruction to don't close the door, go outside and look up. So I opened the door, went outside and looked up. And as I did, a huge object um, moved out from over the house and stopped just off to my right, just, just over me. Uh, only about 60 feet up, about five or six stories up. Um, I was engulfed in what felt like static electricity to a level where all the hairs were stood on end. I was having waves of tingles up and down my spine over my scalp. Um, apps, all of the what I now know are classic scenarios. Everything was pin drop silent. I was completely gobsmacked. The object was huge and it was as if it was a solid object that was engulfed in plasma that was more golden towards the edges, the outsides, um, more white in the center, almost like if you took a disc slightly askew and vertical shards of light were coming out emanating from the center. Um, and it was just absolutely beautiful to behold. But I was also struck at the same time with a feeling of love, of being observed, of intimacy, and I felt like a mental connection had occurred from when it told me to go outside. And I'm stood there for, I don't know how many minutes, um, just absolutely jaw dropping, shocked and amazed at once. Um, so I waved, <laughs> I didn't know what else to do because there was an awkward, it was literally an awkward silence. And I look around because I start to think as the hair on, is standing up on end, that I'm in danger, that this can't be safe. And as I'm thinking, now I'm starting to logically think I need to call for attention, get someone else to see this. I look around, everything felt too eerily quiet and bizarre. Uh, and I had a, an actual really deep feeling that I, it was inappropriate of me to get anybody's attention, that, it was, that I wasn't supposed to do that. But I continued thinking, well, this, is not, this can't be safe. And as I thought about the phone in my top left pocket, to pull that out, to take a picture, the thing starts moving to my left. So I walk under it, I start walking, then jogging, then running. It starts to curve up and round, and it went off up into the sky until it was so high and far away that it just out of sight. But that was the first night, and it came back for three, uh, two more nights after that, three nights in total, the same object. Um, I was lucky my girlfriend saw it the next night, uh, no, sorry, the, the third night. So that was a relief for me. And then we had a lot more weird things happen, balls of red light. We had a, a shadow figure in the house later on. It affected my two sons. My teenage son was with me in a daylight cylindrical object in the sky, all sorts of weird stuff. Um, but in the, in, you know, in the sake of, for the sake of time, I'll just skip over all that for now. Um, so do I ask a question, Nathan? <laughs> so, yeah, please ask a question. Yeah, please. My one of my biggest questions, one of the things that bugs me more than anything else, is do we think that the this is one phenomenon masquerading as several different things in order to combobulate, discombobulate and completely confuse us? Or do we think it's multiple things? Well, it's interesting. First of all, I want to say uh, that you're a fantastic orator, Max, and every time I hear your you speak, your ability to express yourself and and get people to understand what happened to you is phenomenal. And that's one of the reasons I love listening to you speak. 
Um, you're going to get a chance. You're welcome. You're going to get a chance to ask your other, your fellow experiencers this. You guys are going to have multiple opportunities. And I love that question. Um, so uh, with that, let's uh, turn it over to Priscilla, please. Uh, if, if you have a question for Max. Or if she wants to respond to his question. Yes, that's what. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my question for you, Max, is first of all, a lot of similarities between your story and everybody else's. But my question is, we have a lot of physical, um, you know, we have a lot of physical symptoms after an abduction scenario, a lot that we don't really link immediately. So there's also the non-physical things that happen and maybe like you no know, more ethereal things that happen, spirit world type stuff, you know, the shadow figures, poltergeist like activity, um, the night terror, sleep paralysis, but with presences, how much of your experience or everybody's experience has been physical? And how much do you think is related to the non-physical, like possibly even um, an abduction of your consciousness or something like that? That's a good question. Thanks, Priscilla. Um, for me, I only had one. So I was lucky that I had other people that saw these objects too. That's that was a huge relief for me, but it also it didn't cross cross my mind that it wasn't physical. Apart from that first night, I thought I'd lost my mind. It made no sense. It was so confusing, um, and it was so scary for that reason. But I only had one incident where, after the daylight sighting one o'clock in the afternoon over the road there in some fields me and my son were going into the woods and we were stopped by a feeling of dread um after a moment of that unnerving overpowering feeling i felt like we were being watched but it had a direction almost like it was coming from the back of my head up here so i automatically looked up to where it was coming from and it was a, a black cylindrical object in the sky now, we don't remember coming home. I remember we both felt fear. He was 14 years old. It's just broad daylight. And so we, I said, we've got to get out of here. Now, it was that night, Priscilla, that I had a uh, sleep paralysis where I felt the presence of two things to my left staring at me. It's what it felt like. But other than that, everything seemed very physical to me, every part of it. Now, if that answers your question, I hope. And once again, there's going to be more opportunities. There's going to be time for go backs and so on and so forth. So don't great worry. Response. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, John, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, to respond to Max's uh, question uh, and we'll start your time. OK, uh, Max, uh, I haven't had any of the um, adverse effects uh, psychologically about seeing the phenomenon up here. It's always been like your first experience, benevolent, um, that they were very welcoming. Um, I was wondering if you had any ideas of why um, the other experiences seem more foreboding to you. Were you in close prox more close proximity to whatever you saw? No, that's one of the most confusing parts of a big confusing thing, uh, John. Good question. Thanks. Um, I have no clue. I'll, I will say this. My gut instinct, for some reason, it felt as if it was a test of my resolve on the negative. We had one experience in the garden, my girlfriend and me, um, where something not visible to us, very heavy, large footsteps pounding 
right in front of us, but were some whatever was making those footsteps, we couldn't see anything right there. But yet we were sitting in a conversation and all of a sudden that feeling of dread fell on us. This was just a few days, a few weeks after the original three nights. Um, but that feeling of dread fell on us. The hairs on the back of our neck stood up. We both looked at each other and were shocked, like, what the hell is going on? And then these footsteps were pounding from the left and the right towards us. She ran inside so scared. I was frozen solid with fear. And I got angry and mad. And then when these things, whatever it was, whatever these things were, stopped right in front of me, nothing was there. And so I had a feeling as if it was trying to test how I'd react to see what, it's almost like a test of my resolve, my emotional response, my response to something so dreadfully scary. That's what I felt like it was. I don't know why. I have no clue. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, David, we're going to give you two minutes to uh, respond to Max. I know you've had some some tech issues, so hopefully we'll get that uh, straightened out. But uh, I'll start your time, and and uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Um, can Max repeat his original question, please? You can allot this to my time. Sorry. Yeah, sure. My my biggest one of the biggest questions is, I'm unsure whether we're dealing with one thing that is on on purpose trying to confuse us by masquerading as multiple things, or if it is really multiple different, whatever they are, you know. Oh, we lost hey guys, yeah, we lost him again. I, I I DM'd him that maybe if he's on a five gigahertz band, he can switch to two point four. And also, we found out with uh, our co-host uh, Flair that if somebody in your house is using like nin, uh, you know, like a, a gaming system, Nathan's very familiar with gaming systems. There may be a lot of bandwidth being used in his house, and he doesn't realize it's affecting the stream. So, um, it's not the first time it's happened, but. Uh, We'll make sure next time we do a panel that we alert everybody, hey, you got to make sure that you have a sort of a, a, a sterile network at the time when you're doing this. Yeah, it's all good. Hey. We'll power through it. So, David, welcome yeah. back. I'm going to start your time. Um, I know you caught a little bit of the end there. Matt, Max, do you want to just say it real quick again just, just for him? Sure. Hey, David. I don't know whether we're dealing with um, one phenomenon, one thing that is masquerading as several different things. <laughs> or wherever it really is, several separate things that we're dealing with. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I, th I think that um, you have one of the children is now an adult from uh, Ruaz, Zimbabwe, that case that uh, everybody likes to reference, and she still experiences encounters with greys, and she has spoken of um, these things' ability to either manipulate your perception or somehow project themselves as something different and this being chose to project itself as a lion. Um, I've heard other accounts where these kinds of things happen, so I don't know. I think we're dealing with a multifaceted presence, but um, I do think that there's some indication that the greys at least have some kind of means of manipulating perception or, um, you know, or, or change their shape or something. Okay, uh, when when David comes back up, I'll I'll mention to him a couple of little tech ideas that I have, and uh, when he comes back up, and we'll see if if that'll fix fix it. I also DM'd him.
But uh, we're gonna have to press on. Uh, we're uh, we're moving on with Priscilla now and her experience. Yeah, that is correct. Okay. So Priscilla, if you'll get, uh, I'll start your clock, and then when you see the timer, you'll have two minutes left. So. Yeah, and wondering one th- one thing: if these responses, if the two minutes isn't enough, we can just add a minute and make it three. This is still a work in progress. So if you guys would like us, we'll just add it and make it three minute responses, uh, just to make sure everybody has enough time. That's the most important thing. Yeah, and we'll have thirty minutes at the end for just free discussion, so it won't, it, you know, don't worry too much about the clock either. So, mm-hmm. all right, so Priscilla, let's get started. Oh, on mute. Sorry. <laughs> there she is. Sorry, guys. No problem. All good. Um, my voice is kind of scratchy. I'm getting over multiple things, so um, if I sound crazy, that's why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's my first experience was, oh, well, first of all, hello. And if you don't know me, my name is Priscilla Stone and I have a podcast called Quantum Witch Cafe. Um, I, I started the podcast because I wanted to talk about this experience and talk to other people about their experiences. My first experience it was, was when I was five um, or in kindergarten and I had gone outside and I had seen three uh, basketball sized orbs is my best um, way to describe them self-contained which is common um, in a lot of people's experiences they were like a yellowy gold or I'm sorry like a whitish gold and they thought it was one triangular craft and it wasn't um, because they did these crazy spin maneuvers and they came up and they spin this way and came back down and they did that three times but then they lined up in a row and then just like boom, like left I did feel like a big feeling of like they were showing off for me. They were trying to love me, make me happy. It was super weird that I just felt like that was their show for me because I was looking at the sky and I'd been out there multiple lights looking nights looking at the sky. Um, after that, I, that sort of triggered a lot of other experiences. Um, to sum it all up, I've seen two extraterrestrial like beings in my waking and had a lot of crazy sleep paralysis situations. I'm not worried about the ghosts. I'm not worried about the demons, but these ones kind of play with your perception as mentioned. So um, my second experience was super freaky. And yeah, uh, I guess that's it in a nutshell. I still see things in the sky. I still get these random sleep paralysis events um, with weird physical things the next day. But um, yeah, that's my experience in a nutshell. And what uh, Priscilla, what kind of... uh sort of topics or thoughts that have come to your mind in light of that experience or for what you know of the experiences of our other panelists? Well, I, I'm really curious to everybody about the sleep paralysis. Uh, like this whole thing is physical, but is it also like our consciousness doing something as well? And is that translating into our physical body if you wake up with physical symptoms? Nice. Well, you still got a good bit of time left. Do you have any other thoughts on that, or do you want to yield that to uh, to Max? We can we can just kick it over to him. Yeah, you can kick it over. <laughs> All right, Max, you want to you want to take that? Cool, thanks. That's the beauty of this thing, or the the the, le- the top layer, the level of the layer cake, I guess, is that we're dealing, as your colleague, your new colleague Nathan said, so academian, right? Mm-hmm. That we're actually dealing with something which is spiritual in nature but it's also physical and we just can't wrap our heads around this because at the moment that doesn't make any damn sense right but yet it's happening it's real so we've got to deal with it somehow we just haven't caught up with the physics of it yet so we're really behind in consciousness studies that's one thing you can say about the human race we may be able to put a rover on mars get men to the moon 
but we're no good at the moment with understanding our own consciousness. We can't even answer basic questions, fundamental questions. So we're like, um, we're dealing with something that's clearly extremely advanced in dealing with consciousness, is able to manipulate consciousness, toy with it, do what it wants with it, whereas we know nothing. So um, the whole Claudate, you have to remind me if anyone knows the name, there was the research done with the, Claudate Potamon region of the brain. Is that right? Right. The Gary Nolan research, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and that in itself, that fascinates me because if the denser region, the connections in that area of the brain are something to do with this stuff happening to certain people, then I want an MRI right now. I want to be, I want to know. <laughs> I think we all should do a GoFundMe, we'd all go have an MRI. <laughs> yeah, no, Max, you and I have talked about that, um, the, your curiosity there. I I'm curious to know if the other panelists, I'm going to kick it back to you, Priscilla, on this, because this is still your block of time, believe it or not. But have yeah. you had a similar, uh, have you had a similar uh, thought that Max has had about wanting to, you know, kind of peer inside the mind or the brain and, and see what's going on there? Absolutely, I have because we've seen lots of uh, representations. I wouldn't say a ton, but we have seen representations of things that portray like our brain and sort of like, you know, the ancient world, to put it simply. And then those practices that people use, like since the beginning of humanity, to expand that. And I think that we kind of lost that. And we're just now learning um, maybe that we're learning how to study the brain without having to dissect somebody now. So it's very interesting. Gary Nolan's research really interests me because it no, doesn't only apply to um, experiencers, abductees of the UFO, UAP phenomena. It also applies to people that are psychic mediums that do, um, you know, remote viewing, people that are, you know, have spirits lurking around, they could see beyond the veils, that sort of thing. Um, also, the people that are able to initiate contact that act like little antennas, like, you know, if you go meditate with these people to initiate contact, you're going to get contact. So I think that the brain morphology is very interesting to look at. Um, but I'm also curious as to what other things could we look at, um, you know, maybe right after an experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, so, Max, this is your block of, of response time here. I don't know if you want to take that back or if you want John to jump in on this, but uh, John, you'll also get two minutes in a second. So, oh, apologies. Yeah. Um, to, can I continue where Please, yeah. it's left off? Um, <clears throat> there's something that's I overlooked for, because I didn't deal with what happened here for all of us for years. I just put it to one side, tried to bury it like it never happened. And what I found is it's the one time in my life through many traumatic experiences growing up and through my life, nothing ever has bothered me the way that this did. It got to such a deep level on a, I mean, what I ignored for the longest time until I was told about Chris Bledsoe, um, somebody said, you need to check out Chris Bledsoe. And I listened to him and he started to talk about his state of mind, his emotional situation at the time that this all kicked off for him, right? When was it? 2007. And it occurred to me that if I'm going to tell the full story, the full picture of every detail of what happened, because the devil's in the detail, I mean, we may just be missing and skipping over something that seems insignificant to us in the stories people tell of what happened to them, but that little piece of information could be the key to what we're missing. Um, and that is state of mind uh, emotional 
you know, you could say, well, you were in a really bad place, so you imagined it all, but no, it's not that. It's not that. So it's something else, but possibly pertaining to that. Who knows? Mm -hmm. John, so, you want to you take that? I'm sorry, Dean. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to pass it to John in a second. Uh, Deb just wanted to pose the question and answer to what Priscilla was saying is about DNA, because uh, Deb, I think, is asking, can we look at somebody's DNA and see if it's changed or if it's different than, I guess, your standard DNA? And probably several of you, like John, know more about this than I do. Um, uh, Chris is saying they have a question from the chat. Um, in addition, is, is I think what Priscilla is asking is, can we measure this? Can we measure an experience scientifically ex post facto after it happens? Can we can we see that something did occur? And I, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's one of a million questions that we can ruminate over and and try to answer. Uh, but now uh, somebody has a question for John. Uh, do you want to entertain that now? Or would you like to press on Nathan? I think let, let's give John his, uh, his two minutes to respond. Okay. And then we'll, we're going to have 30 minutes to talk about all the questions okay. in the audience and all that stuff. So, Okay, so Akashi, um, Chris, if you can hold that question, just write it down if you would on your notepad, and then we'll pose that to John during the 30 minutes, please. All right, so John, two minutes uh, on the clock for you, sir. So I'm wondering if um, there's some aspect of, the manifestation of the phenomenon in a more scientific sense, um, like uh, electromagnetism, something to do with the propulsion system or something to do with the manifestation of that energy orb or energy beings that uh, affects our minds. Uh, if you would think the mind as a receptor, as well as a transmitter, that it is an antenna and it's, some of us are more tuned to receiving or more receptive to these phenomena uh, more than others. And I've always wondered why, in my case, you know, why can't people see what I see, um, even if we're gathered in the same place? And I was wondering if maybe that has some aspect to it, which is why I asked Max how close he was to these craft, because there's some electromagnetic effect going on if there are anti-gravity actually anti-gravity is like creating you create gravity and you can bend space and time you need lots of gravity not anti-gravity to have anti-gravity it's a it's kind of a an inverse way of thinking mm -hmm. so um and the negative aspects i mean i don't know if we're projecting something unconsciously that might be negative and they're responding back uh i was wondering if Perhaps um, the way we project ourselves to the phenomenon and they see our state of mind, maybe unconscious state of mind, and they want to communicate with us and they're reflecting back. So if there's any kind of trauma, um, psychological trauma, where we're dealing with something pretty heavy in our lives, then it says, oh, okay, this is your state of mind. I want to connect with you. So I'm going to connect with you in that way. Hmm. We can give you another minute, John, if you'd like. We're, we're thinking that uh, two minutes is too short. Maybe we should go three. We want to make sure that you guys can, uh, you know, this is experimental. We've only done three roundtables, I think. So, okay, um, I'll I'll add to this. Um, the government works mostly in this area of understanding the phenomena with those who are in the intelligence community or in the military community. The reason why is because 
the government understands this phenomenon is real. They understand that. And we saw in the Skinwalkers of the Pentagon book that they understand that there's some high strangeness going on that might have some consciousness aspect to it. Um, so I would say that on the government side, they are looking at the physiological and psychological aspects of the phenomenon. That doesn't include um, the vast majority of, uh, I'd say, the civilian sector who are not part of that those communities, but someone is looking at it from a scientific and medical and neuroscientific um, perspective. So that is happening. Um, I wish those resources were available for everyone. But it, uh, that's great to know, though, because that sort of answers the question that Priscilla was asking and Max as well. So that's great to know that they're looking at it. Yeah, um, sure. Nathan, where do you want to go now? Do you want to go to John or David? Or well, let's what? check in with David. David, can okay. can you hear us okay? I can. I apologize for that. Oh, no worries. Great to have you back with us. Uh, yeah. Timing is all good here. So uh, we're going to give you three minutes to uh, to respond to some of the things that, that you've picked up on. We've really kind of been talking about the connection between uh, the phenomenon, the experience of the phenomenon, where does it reside, the physicality of it, the non-physicality of it. I don't know what thoughts you might have on those topics. Um, as far as as far as physicality versus non-physicality, um, in my own experiences, I I mean the craft, the ones that were in close proximity, um, you know, within a hundred feet, seem to be as real as a car. Um, and you know, the being that I saw the porch light was on and there was a shadow under his cheekbone, um, which would indicate that it was actually there. Um, however, there seems to be an ability to do things that go outside of what is possible physically. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how that's done. Um, if it's some consciousness, if it's technological, if it's a marriage of both, you know, I've, I've heard people say that this could be a military psyop, this could be a mental illness, this could be um, angels and demons, this could be AI, you know, there, there's a multitude of kind of theories for that. Um, and I think there's a little bit of truth to all of it. But for me personally, it does have a physicality to it. It is real in a sense, but through some means that I don't understand, it's capable of doing things that aren't possible so i think it's some kind of weird marriage of the two um whether it's extraterrestrial interdimensional um and it's coming to and from those places using this incredible technology or consciousness i mean i think that's the big question uh, i think personally that it's a marriage of the two it, it's it's both um and it's not just our consciousness at play it's theirs as well um you know, or that's my theory, at least. Nice. And we'll give you one more minute. But if you had, uh, let me ask you something Max raised. If you had a chance to, like, say, have an MRI or some sort of measurement of your brain to kind of understand what's going on there, would you want that? Um, yeah, I guess. You know, there's a part of me that would be heartbroken if it's like, oh, you're nuts. <laughs> there's something broken in there. Um, or some indication of something else, you know, um, I don't know. 
there's a part of me that just wants to hold on to the objective things that I sensed and felt while I was awake and aware. Uh, I can, I have a woo box that I stick things. Um, and I, I'm not going there quite yet, but sure I would be down with it, but I would be tentative. <laughs> gotcha. That's, yeah. That's great. Uh, are we going to David's story now, Nathan? Or are we going to John's yes, I story? I think it's John's story. So John, John, John's we're going to give you the, the five minutes. And uh, obviously you can share with every, whatever you like and raise whatever topics you want to discuss. Well, I've talked about my experiences before. Um, and just basically they happen when they're very young. And in my case, um, I welcomed the experience. Uh, it wasn't frightening to me. And I wanted to be taken uh, not abducted, but taken. And I'm always disappointed that I have to come back because I have more work to do. And the idea that um, I'm having these experiences for a purpose has been central in, in my life, that you're not just having experiences because we were going to satisfy some curiosity you might have about us, the beings, but we want to impart to you a message uh, for you to impart to others, to share with others through your experiences that you have work to do. And so I've always had that in the back of my mind uh, throughout my life. And I just didn't know what that work would be until very recently when I did see uh, an orb over our Santa Catalina Mountains during a CE6 experience with Mark Sims, where uh, what I'm supposed to do is exactly what I'm doing right now with all of you, is to share my experiences because I'm, I'm supposed to help someone uh, with their experience. Uh, and I've actually met someone um, uh, more than happenstance. It was a synchronicity that was amazing that I met someone I'm working with, uh, someone who has grappled with these kinds of synchronicities and these kinds of experiences all throughout their life. And we became very close friends. So I felt like that was like part of uh, the mission I was supposed to do. Um, as far as, you know, um, Having an MRI, um, I guess I could have an MRI. I, I, I don't see any objection to it, um, but I can say this much, um, that the, the, um, the reality of implants is very real. And so that's another um, core secret, if you will. And I hate using that word, the term core secret, uh, because it's like bouncing back to the uh, Wilson Davis uh, notes, but uh, it, it is a, a it is it is known to the government that there is such a thing as implants. And if you ask people that you guys know who have been on these podcasts if about implants, they will deny any knowledge of these implants, or they will de deflect the question. But the the existence of implants um, is well known to the government. I'll say that much. And I've never said that to, I don't think in any podcast whatsoever. So it's a, it's a first for me. And that's something else I'm working with CIA to see if I can say mm. in the context, I can say it. Um, and I'm going to apply it to me. And that's why I wanted my medical records because they found something related to a nosebleed that occurred every time at night between three and 4 AM when I had the sleep paralysis experiences and waking up with anxiety. Um, and so they would have these nosebleeds and they did find uh, something and I'm wondering what they found. Mm. Wow. Well, you, you have uh, some time left, John. Do you want to defer that to uh, David to respond or do you, or, or DJ? <laughs> it could be deferred to anyone. 
whoever. Yeah, DJ. Um, so what do you think the purpose of, and because I got something else I'm going to ask you during uh, our cabbie round, but what do you think the purpose of these implants are? What do you think the phenomenon might want to use them for? Um, I think it's more communication uh, and not necessarily controlling one's thoughts, but communicating to us. And I'm not sure why some have implants and others don't. So uh, amongst the intelligence community and military community uh, experiencers, um, uh, there's a correlation of having implants as well as um, certain things in um, our uh, physiological and uh, neurological makeup. And they're, they're categorizing them carefully. And that's part of the research that they're doing. It's not just about the craft and who's driving the craft. Um, that's why at CIA, the UFO work was done in a life sciences division. That's biologists and neurologists and medical people. Now, why would UFOs be studied by them? Because they're interested in those aspects that are hard to explain. And in order to have full disclosure, you need to like build a huge, strong bridge to that because that's just getting into super high strangeness of mm. why some have and others don't have a particular type of uh, neurological makeup or even implants, let's say. It just occurred to me that it's not happenstance that you're an experiencer at the level that you're an experiencer and you worked where you worked. Uh, it just occurred to me that perhaps that was meant to happen for their purpose. Yeah, certainly. Just throwing it out there. Next. No, it's, a, it's a great thought. No, I thought that was great. Uh, yeah. David, uh, we're going to start your response time to, to John's block there. Um, you know, that's all, all of that kind of thing that's going on with the military as far as like disclosure and what they're actually studying. And, you know, I just don't know enough about that to really reply. I think I, I just feel so bad for the technical mishap. I don't feel like talking that much at all at this point. <laughs> no, it's all um, good. It's all I, good, brother. You, you're part he, of the family. Let's go. You kind of uh, touched on, you know, physiological implications of this. And I don't know if it's been brought up yet. Um, but I've heard John bring it up before, uh, and this deals with, you know, hybridization, the idea that at some point these beings um, or, yes, these beings had some way of manipulating genetics uh, in a way that integrates their makeup into something before us. Uh, cavemen, greater apes, I'm not sure. But that theory has gone around. And just since we've all opened the door, uh, I had a, uh, you know, conversation. I, you know, I see these craft, I hear these voices. I asked if I was like one of them. And the response was kind of laughter, almost like a uh, laughing at a child. It's like, hey, mom, can I levitate? It's like, what? So it was clearly no, but they, you know, it was communicated that I was a direct descendant of the, you know, mutated humans and whether or not that goes in the woo box, I, you know, I'm not going to put a lot of stake in that, in what I heard. Um, I'm not trying to start a new religion, but that was an idea that I got. And I took that as there is work being done on that level to some degree. 
and um, part of their interactions revolves around that. So that's all I got. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's very powerful. Uh, Max, you want to come in on that with your response? Thanks. Thanks, John. Um, I think you touched on exactly what I think personally is the best thing to happen to ufology in a, a long time, I guess, is that finally we have two things here which we can actually scientifically do work on and progress a little, even if just a little bit, it'll finally be some form of progression towards an answer eventually. So to be studying not only uh, the MRI scans, the brain, the cardiac pertainment, I'm going to learn how to say that one day, and then the, um, the implants that you mentioned as well, these are things, Dr. Roger Lear, he's gone now, right? But that guy, he was doing some really important stuff. So we need another Dr. Lear in the public domain, the public sphere, to carry on his work. So we know that you have government departments that are doing this kind of thing, what we don't get told about. We don't get told about it enough. So we need our own public public uh, research to look into these same areas. Um, and then we're actually going to get some answers. These, uh, these implants, right, according to the stuff I've seen with Hal Putoff and um, even the Gary Nolan Vice article, so it looks like these could potentially, possibly, the way that they've been made could be used as um, terahertz frequency uh, for transmission. For uh, We're talking about being able to do things with this material, the way that it's been put together that we can't do prior to, uh, to seeing this stuff, right? It's almost like we're seeing future tech, <laughs> advanced tech, anyway. So uh, did you ever get that taken out, John? I forget. I did listen to your thing a while back. Did you ever, ever get it removed? They said, no, they did, didn't they? They removed something from your upper nasal cavity, but it was a while back, a long time ago. Yes, uh, they removed tissue, but I don't think they got the implant. Uh, I think the implant's still with me, but they did remove tissue. John, you can take uh, three minutes here uh, to respond to what, what Max said. Sure. Um, that is um, one of the most important parts of, from the government's perspective, U.S. government's perspective of this research. Um, it seems like the Air Force got the craft and the CIA got the bodies. And just to make it simple, um, and I don't know if CIA got the bodies for a fact. I do know for a fact that where the UFO research happened at CIA and it's documented, it did occur in the life sciences division. And the, and the successor for the life sciences division are people I worked with at the National Counterproliferation Center, which uh, dealt with nuclear, biological and chemical um, weapons of mass destruction. So the biologists there were in the successor organization and they did not work, as far as I know, directly with anything like that. And I don't know if it's still there, but the successor organization uh, is uh, staffed by biologists and neurologists, neuroscientists, that, those type of people, psychologists, psychiatrists. Um, and so that leads me to believe that, you know, there was serious consideration uh, given to the actual um, uh, physiological and psychological 
aspects of encountering these phenomena, uh, particularly from those that they can question, that is us. They're not going to go to civilians because they have no authority to go to civilians to do this, but they can come to us, um, the military and the intelligence community. And so I believe they, there's a, a body of study that has drawn many conclusions and that what Gary Nolan is doing is sort of like the second opinion of, okay, here, <laughs> he's doing metamaterials too, as well. And so it's like a second opinion. What do you think about what you're seeing? Use your instruments at Stanford University and give us your conclusions of what you're seeing. And then using that to compare with what we already have. Great. And uh, if you have uh, any response, the well, we're almost out of time, so we'll have to go to Priscilla. Uh, but wow, that is uh, that's really interesting, and it it begs other questions. Yeah, uh, let's come back to that, Priscilla. Yeah, why, don't, Priscilla. why don't you respond to uh, to John? To John. Yeah, that's very that's a very interesting take that they might be doing um, that Gary Nolan's research might be compared to research that the government already um, has been conducting or the CIA has been conducting. Um, and that could answer a lot of the like why. Um, but I am with David and this isn't you know, a lot of people have talked about this is that there are some lineages of us that are from the time period where they started kind of giving us, you know, uh, different genetic ma manipulations, I guess. Uh, and the, that might also relate to your question as to why do some people have implants and some don't. Um, the physical implant maybe, you know, this is obviously speculation, but could the physical, now I have more questions, I guess, the physical implant might be like, you know, the lineage, like, yes, you have alien genes. I know people don't like the word alien, but you know what I mean. And the people that don't need them, Maybe the relationship is more of like the telepathic relationship, even though most experiencers do have some sort of telepathy um, or tele telepathic um, relationship with the beings. So um, that's another thing that another question I have now. Um, but that's a great point, John, about the comparing of information between their information and research from um, Gary Nolan or maybe other scientists studying it. Nice. Thank you. And um, uh, yeah, go ahead, go Nathan. Ahead. Well, we, no, yeah, go we, ahead, have, we have some yeah. extra time, so uh, I, I, you know, anybody else want to jump in on that? Max. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Um, as I, I'm sure we've all got millions of questions, and we could go on all night. I, it's really good you've set this up. So thank you so much, guys. Um, I think I, I'm just going to keep beating the same drum. That for me, because I know. How many people, if you haven't had a direct experience that has blown your mind and changed your worldview because these things are real, there's no question, there's no question anymore, then it's it's really hard to convince someone who doesn't believe it could possibly be real. So I think it's really important as much as we all know, we all know that it affects consciousness, it does things which seem like magic, it's so out there that you struggle to accept it yourself personally. So how you're never going to convince some people because it's too, it's nuts. It sounds nuts, but it's real. So for me, um, I like to hone in on the objective or the science kind of thing that I can, we can try and get some info. We can try and get some convincing progress. So for me, it's the how put off the SCU. Is that the scientific coalition for UFO studies? 
Um, somebody put out there last week, a few days ago, Hal was talking about the blue shift uh, in these objects. And that when they blue shift through into our visible light spectrum for us, limited human eyesight, that we'd be seeing certain things, um, which I can, I correlate to what happened with me because this thing was, it looked like plasma. It's the only thing I could describe it as. It was a super bright, luminous, should have burned my eyes, but it didn't. Very bizarre luminescence that I'd never seen before, but yet it was moving like plasma. Almost looked like it was setting the air on fire beyond the edging. So to me, that the closest thing I can relate to that is it was like plasma. He said that if it blue shifts down into the visible light spectrum, you're probably going to get plasma. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I heard him say. So it looks like these things are there, but just not visible to the human eye. And then you can find lots of video of these things in the infrared. So they're there, but we can't see them. And then they visible blue shift into a visible light spectrum. They, you know, produce plasma. They're producing effects on the microwave and possibly terahertz frequencies, which are damaging people. But I'm confused there because I didn't get any negative health effects. So I want, I've got so many questions. I want to know more. Because if I was 60 feet, about five stories under this thing, I want to know how come I didn't get killed, the 25% from the 100-person study they did. Why, why didn't I get any negative health effects? But I can tell you that I had, my brain felt like electrical fireworks were going off for a couple of hours afterwards. So I know it did something to me, and I want to know more. And I am willing to put myself under an MRI scanner and see if a, if a uh, what do you call it now? An implant comes and shoots through the top of my head because I giant <laughs> magnet. Well, it certainly didn't do anything to your hair because I'm the one that with the hair loss. So <laughs> something didn't. Yeah, something didn't go. Happen. John, I mean, Let's okay. Uh, yes. All right. <laughs> well, I think we've got. Uh, I want to come back to that because uh, you know you've raised a lot of great points and and we've got no shortage of good content here to get into once we get through. I want to get to our last round. I know David, who's kind of been popping in and out, want to give him a chance to to express the things that he wanted to share. So David, I'm going to give you uh, your five minutes and then, uh, and then we'll go around. Um, okay. I, you know, to Mac, to kind of tie into Max's point, um, I did witness some things that had that kind of quote unquote plasma discharge that you're talking about, like some type of interaction with the space around it that was causing a glow. But then, you know, there were some distinct moments when, and I know, you know, this isn't all about the craft and this goes deeper into consciousness and DNA and, you know, all these other types of things. But um, some of the craft were within a hundred feet of me. Uh, I stood in the exact place that I saw the crescent. I heard someone describe it. I was calling it boomerang or banana or uh, something like that, but crescent's perfect. Um, I stood where it flew over me and it was, I've been telling people 40 to 50, it was probably 30 to 40. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I had multiple kind of encounters like this and I too, of course I'm bald, <laughs> but I too, like have had, like, I wasn't burned. I wasn't zapped. I wasn't, uh, you know, nothing happened along those lines. Um, so again, I, there may be multiple craft is that military space program. I live within 40 miles of, uh, the Redstone Arsenal and NASA, uh, where NASA has a, Jet Propulsions Lab and uh, the Armory does missile defense for the Army. 
but I doubt it just because of all the other circumstances, but they're real and they do have some kind of discharge and they can take off and disappear. But yeah, you know, there's some kind of, I don't know, but I also, I'm not stricken with any kind of cancers I'm aware of. You know, I don't know if I have an implant. Well, you've got some more time, David. Do you want to, do you want to use that or do you want to defer? Uh, I can, I'll, I, I'll defer because of all the chaos I, I cause. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good no, now, it's, man. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great now. Um, where do we want to go with this? Why don't we just, uh, we'll, we'll shoot over to Priscilla. I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on, on David's, uh, time there. Yeah. He talks a lot about, um, like the proximity that he's been with the craft now that raises a question, what about proximity to beings? Um, do they have to be close to do this like cloaking thing that some of them do or to alter our perception? I don't think they do, um, but it's very interesting that some people have the negative and positive effects and effects that you have might not be like obvious things. Like for females, some of the effects is a, a tampered with menstrual cycle or false pregnancies. Um, and for some men, I, and there's not as many men talking about it, but, um, there is a lot of men that are experiencing side effects, um, with reproduction. So we have to also look, you know, at like these more subtle effects because for a female, um, maybe, you know, the cycle isn't regular, but they have an event or an experience and it changes that does being close to a craft, you know, affect that as well. And also does it affect, you know, um, just the the way we reproduce in general a lot of these timings are peculiar to me that beings are visiting people or where they're seeing them when you're young when you're a teenager and again later on in life that sounds like a lot of key moments in people's lives physiologically and like developmentally as far as your brain goes so I think it's cool that David saw a lot and I'm glad you didn't have any physical effects, but I'm wondering if there's physical effects that maybe we aren't going to be able to notice as obviously as like a radiation sickness or an implant or, you know, scoop marks. And, and David actually asked them to leave uh, and stop coming to his house. It's one of the things I remember from our interview with him, right, mm -hmm. David? So you were, uh, really freaked out. Your family was freaked out. Your daughter, and you're like, okay, and told them to stop coming, and they did. Yeah, um, that was. I mean, we can debate intent, and we can debate source of it, military consciousness, something else. Um, you know whatever it is, is just incredibly intense. Like it's a lot to have to live through. I listened to Priscilla's uh, testimony. I shed a tear when she cried, <laughs> you know, cause you wake up and you're something's happened and you still have to have this logical kind of like, well, got to go to the grocery store. I got to fill my car up with gas. It's hard to process it while it's life is going on. Um, you know, but, um, it, I, I asked it to go because it was too stressful. It was too much. It, it's just too much to have to process regularly. Um, so I don't know if it's good or bad or self-serving or serving us or what the purpose of it is. Um, but it's intense enough to say that's enough. 
um, at a point it's like, I can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they, in the Bible you have, I know people don't uh, go by the Bible, but there's maybe some allegory there where people encounter angels and most of them, even a benevolent being will put these people prostrate on their knees, physically ill, they'll run. Uh, it's an intense experience no matter what it is. So for that to go on and on, yeah, I was just like, you know, that's plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, John, do you want to come in on that? Uh, sure, David. When you mention the Bible, I tell people the Bible is nothing but a book of experiences. And if you look at it, it was a lot of it was, um, was written by prophets who had experiences with uh, the angel of the Lord, messengers of God, and they wrote about their experiences. And if you read about the various manifestations of that experience, it seems very uh, paranormal in some aspects that there are actually mentions of, of not UFOs, but I mean, what is a cloud in the sky that followed um, the, uh, the followed Moses and everyone uh, going into Canaan, you know, which dropped off food and, and everything they needed and had instructions on how to build a device so that this cloud or whatever was in it can talk to them and how the priests had to wear certain garments to protect themselves from whatever what seems like a, some kind of electromagnetic or electrostatic kind of energy emanating from this uh, box called the Ark of the Covenant that if you don't wear it, you touch it, you die because you're gonna get zapped. And so, I mean, if you look at you look at that, I mean, we've just had nothing but experiences in the Bible, but people who are like now who might call themselves devout Christians, you know, you approach them about these alien or extraterrestrial encounters and they dismiss it. And you say, well, you know, how about the Bible that said this? <laughs> so, oh yeah, but that's the Bible that happened like thousands of years ago. Uh, those kind of things don't happen anymore. Well, why not? Why isn't the, what was described in these ancient religious texts, just a continuation of what we're seeing now, except now we have science to kind of interpret things for us and maybe interpreting uh, them in a, in a, a more, uh, physical way rather than a uh, metaphysical spiritual way. And so um, when you mentioned the Bible, that's what resonated with me, David. Thank you. Nice. And you Next. have another minute if he wants, right? Well, why don't we uh, fin- yeah. we'll finish the round out and then we'll, yeah. we'll open it up. So yeah. Max, do you want to jump in on that? Thank you. Um, yeah. That's again, so much to say. Um, I know I can really connect with you, David on, your experiences because there are a lot of similarities right that we realize between some of the things you experienced you felt you saw same here one of the things that really really confused the hell out of me because i had no interest in the subject either before it happened it just came out of the blue i was left feeling like i didn't know if i just had an angelic experience yet i'm not religious but it felt godly felt so paranormal godly alien magical mind-blowing everything was just beyond comprehension no frame of reference and and so you can understand how people do or would turn to religion after an experience like this and you certainly do start to think hold on was that like we're talking about in the bible some of those stories you can easily see 
how they could have been directed by one of these objects by uh, giving them instructions, conscious instructions to do things. Easy, easy to to understand that that could absolutely explain a lot of these stories. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, David, about your kids, um, because I know it pisses me off, excuse my French, um, with the fact that my teenage boy was with me that day. <laughs> um, Desolé. Uh, but at the same time, my, my son was on, my baby son had just come out of intensive care after five weeks in intensive care. He was born 10 weeks premature. He didn't have an easy ride. We almost lost him. And then that thing appears in our living room, which I wanted to let you know, Priscilla, that at the time I felt nothing bad, this shadow figure, but it was my baby that woke up crying in a terrible way. I knew something was wrong when I picked him up, the shadow figures there, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a regular size. It was a typical gray alien, big head, four foot tall, size of a six year old boy now. So, and it glided across the room, spindly arms. So to me, I never, I never considered that that was something ghostly. It, it, I didn't know what to make of it, but it was a typical like, gray alien size and shape. So, is that a separate thing or is that one of the same? Uh, what did, what happened with your kids, David? I know you said your little boy had a, a lump on his foot, right? And your daughter saw something at the window. Um, yes. Uh, my my oldest daughter, when I was seeing a lot of crafts, she saw what she described as a big green light with smaller green lights spinning around it like in a circle. Um, she had that experience. She had another experience where she says she thought she heard something outside the window and there was clicking. Um, and then my son had an experience. He thought he heard something on the roof and said he had, uh, you know, he was eight or nine years old, said he woke up stuck to the ceiling. And, uh, then my daughter saw what she described as a big bird looking in the window with big eyes and pointy mouth. She was five. It was traumatic. You know, I didn't discuss it with them. It wasn't anything like that. I wasn't openly being like, Hey guys, guess what's going on outside? Uh, you know, they're innocent children. I didn't weigh them down with that, but they reported these things to me and I don't know if it's connected or not. And, you know, does it bother me? Yes. You know, I don't, and like you said, it is an incredible intense presence. Like you just feel like this is, you're talking to God, you know, um, and just in those kind of layman's terms, like you're dealing with something superior, divine, maybe it's not, could be a manipulation, but there's that feeling. So it's like, well, this gotta be for a reason. But then there's this other feeling where it's like, this is incredibly stressful and affecting me on a level I'm not comfortable with anymore. Again, I don't know what their intent is or what they're doing, but you know, uh, there were other experiences with my children as well. And my baby daughter and going back to Priscilla's point, uh, my wife was pregnant during it. No, that's I'll stop there. That's great. Um, well, why don't we open up our, our final block of time here? We've uh, got just we're just over an hour, and I'd like us to have some more open discussion. Yep. Um, if I could kick that off with just an open question, um, because one thing that strikes me here is the emotion that many of you share when when you talk about your experiences. It's very genuine. It's very powerful. I think a lot of people connect with that. I'd like to hear from you uh, all in, in the sense of. Um, now that you've become more public with your experiences, is, has it felt uh, more empowering? Do you feel like it's uh, kind of uh, strengthened a sense of um, purpose or calling that you may have? John, you kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier. Uh, do you feel like it's uh, you know kind of driving you? 
Um, how do you react to that and people's reactions to what you share? And Priscilla, if you could if you could start us off with that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Sorry, guys. I take notes because I I have ADD, like so. <laughs> I take medicine, but I still have to write things down or I will like, get good. lost in everything. <laughs> um, so the calling thing, yes, because I last year, well, the year before that. I was teaching metaphysical classes. I was teaching people with my partner, my, one of my best friends and sister is, you know, I was teaching people how to meditate. I was teaching them about their chakras. I've always been very spiritual. Even when I was Christian and Catholic, I had these visitations from angels. Okay. Well, we're, what were these angels? So, you know, it's, it's shifted a lot of my thinking in a sense that I keep getting drawn back to this phenomenon or phenomena. Like I keep getting pulled back in this direction. I never wanted to talk about this and it just, ha it's happening. And yes, it's very emotional because I have kids. Like people, what if people think I'm crazy and not a fit mom because I'm like, Hey guys, uh, I woke up outside and I couldn't wake up my husband or the more freaky thing when your kids say something um, like, where were you last night, mom? And it, you just so happen to have a night terror, night terror of these beings or an experience. So my experiences are mixed and scary, scarier when I was younger, mixed and not scary in the sense where I'm afraid for things, but scary in the sense that I don't understand them. But it has left my me towards this calling of just talking to people and holding space for people that want to talk about this, because how can I possibly ask people to talk about their experiences and be okay and help end the stigma around experiences if I'm not sharing my experience myself. So, um, yeah, it's definitely led me in the direction to talk more publicly. And it has helped because I'm hearing everybody and I'm hearing the similarities. And you don't come into the public saying, I was abducted or I was experienced. I'm an experiencer because sometimes you don't understand it. It's, but it's in the union of other experiencers and their stories where you get to piece things together and almost in a scary way, um, you know, or a unnerving way, I should say. And then you have a bigger picture of what actually happened to you, um, which could be comforting in some ways, but also very mind blowing. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize it had happened since you had had kids. Because uh, I actually had an opportunity to speak to Priscilla driving home from work one day, and she told me uh, some of her experiences, and I was absolutely fascinated. It was like I made a new friend within the span of like 20 minutes, uh, and that was prior to her agreeing to come on the show, so that was great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to have you back for a whole hour. That's the bottom line, okay? <laughs> At least. I'm happy to. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was just thinking about today. I was like... I feel like I miss DJ, but I only talked to him once. <laughs> I know. I, I, I miss you too. So we're going to have to have another phone call. But let's uh, let's get uh, – are we at uh, – where are we going now, Nathan? Well, I didn't know if anybody else wanted to respond to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, John, David, John, David, Max, Max, John. I think it's John's turn, right? Yeah, John. Hi, John. You want to speak to that again, John? You touched on it a little bit earlier, the sense of calling. Uh, that's right, uh, Nathan. Um, I, I've – had these lifelong experiences that I've mostly kept to myself or shared with um, family and friends, actually, and colleagues at work. And where surprisingly, uh, it's the colleagues at work where uh, who are most accepting, as well as uh, members of my family, friends, not as much, um, uh, until I met 
newer friends <laughs> that uh, also had experiences. But uh, the calling is, I think, very important to me. Uh, that's why I talk about the message being more important than the craft and the drivers. But it's the message that they leave. And for me, uh, it can be a gift. Uh, and uh, the gift is this ability to um, exp the actual experience itself um, to me is a gift that I can actually um, commune with them. And so the uh, Whitley Strieber book, Communion, is very apt for me because it's a communication with them. But it's no good for me to just receive communication or ask them questions for my own curiosity. Um, there is a component where um, I want to help others to understand what they're experiencing, um, especially uh, I've had contact with those in government who've messaged me privately. And so I'm helping them uh, understand as well as find resources that they can go to. Uh, so that's part of it as well. And um, it's just, it's absolutely correct uh, that, that it's, it's just, I don't think it's a compulsion or obsession, but it seems like uh, a need to reach out with our experiences and to share them. And whether people believe it or not, that's not up to me. Um, it's, it's my job to share. And whether they accept or not, um, I, don't, I don't judge people if they don't accept. I don't judge people if they do accept. And I just wanted to share them because I know uh, perhaps even non-experiencers who um, may not have shared what I've experienced, maybe in the future, who's to say that as they grow older, you know, and some might not experience it until they're uh, much older. And then they will remember, oh, yeah, you know, other people have had these experiences. And um, I just wish that all of them were positive. I acknowledge that some of them are negative, And I don't know why that is. But there are resources out there like OPUS, O-P-U-S. OPUS is the group that helps those with these kind of experiences that may have been negative. And there's uh, professional therapists uh, that can help them uh, through these experiences. They're, they're very loving and kind therapists. They don't, uh, they don't come out and try to suppress saying something's wrong with you. And they're saying, let's help you understand what's going on. Because these therapists themselves are experiencers. And I'm really pleased that there's a community that people can go to to help. Um, we'll put that in the show notes as well, John. And just so you know, uh, folks like uh, David, Fravor, Alex, you know, Luis, uh, Christopher, and now you have inspired and emboldened me to talk about this because I, I don't, I wouldn't be, I would be podcasting, but not about this if it weren't for people like you that are brave and have emboldened me to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about it, and if something happens, then I'll handle it when it comes but for now i'm talking about it so tough so anyway <laughs> all right let's move on to uh uh david do you have any anything that you'd like to say about what uh priscilla said or or anything tangential to that um i think the discussion was around do i feel like there's a sense of purpose in my life now uh after that happened and i would say absolutely um you know um if, if for no other reason, 
just to help prepare people's minds for some of the more out there aspects of this, uh, whether that, again, whether that's military, some kind of mental illness, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, time traveler, something is going on and it's affecting people personally and directly. Um, and it's a lot of people, I feel. Um, but not, a, I mean, whether it's pilots or whether it's me, there is this stigma that says, don't talk about it. Um, and I feel like that's such a shame because so many people have had experiences, but they don't, you know, it's kind of hush hush. Um, so I feel like it's my purpose to encourage people to not be hush hush about it. I think there needs to be like a methodology and you, you need to be objective, but, um, people need to start discussing what they've experienced. Um, as far as was my experience negative, um, I don't know. I don't have an absolute answer for that. It was very intense. Um, according to, you know, since telepathy and dreams have been brought up, I'll reach into the woo box and say there is some kind of communication going on and they do indicate that it's for a reason and everybody's going to be okay, but it feels different in the physical, um, you know, um, that can be debated, but it's affecting people personally. And I do feel like it's my purpose to prepare people and to encourage people to have the conversation. <clears throat> and we thank you so much for being willing to share that with us and all of you for being willing to share that. I mean, it's certainly empowering me. Matt, Max, do you have thoughts on that as well? Uh, same, really. It's started out with me being a little selfish because I, I needed to try to deal with it myself, and I, I hadn't. Um, and it was my twin brother who is maybe still listening, he kept saying to me, you really need to put this down. Let me put this on camera, talk it through. And I kept saying no, because it felt so, I just couldn't process it even after years. I didn't know what, I couldn't deal with it. And so I just didn't deal with it. And it was starting to really eat away at me. It's been what, three, four years. It's been four years since anything happened. So it felt like a transient thing. Although I know other people local to here saw it. Um, after that so i can give you an example today um if he's listening uh, a guy called mr e or ian um on, contacted me on youtube <clears throat> excuse me and then sent me an email he's from dorset in england in the south west coast it's a nice place um and he shared with me uh, an experience or two a couple of experiences that happened for him and he had some real close similarities and this is we should create a tidal wave of people speaking out about their experiences make them feel with every single one of us that speaks up even about the weirder stuff the weird side of it doesn't matter if we can be brave enough to just speak up and just share every detail of what happened you are helping countless other people because mr e can now talk to me and say hey that happened to me i haven't really spoke about this but so we're, <clears throat> we're going to arrange to have a conversation. And then when he speaks about it, some 10 other people will hear about it. And you're just going to create a snowball, snowball effect until we can have these conversations without hardly any ridicule. It's really important. It, yeah. So it's me. I, yeah. I just, I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were finished. Go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to, to say that I saw with David 
what I saw, this happened to me, David, specifically when I was listening to your, and with you, Priscilla, when, you know, you get that emotion, it's so traumatic. It causes post-traumatic stress disorder. There's no question. And it, I saw in David what was happening to me a year ago. So I started for the first time facing this a year ago in October, of, you know, not last year, the year before. So yeah, just over a year. And the first few times I tried to talk about it, I got so hyper-emotional. I was breaking down. I was teary. I was getting tingles up the back. I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't talk about it. And the more that I spoke about it and spoke about it and struggled to put it into words, the less my emotional response became. So this is the first time in my life I've tried to talk about something that was traumatic. And I'm not, I don't mean traumatic in a pure negative way because I look at it now, the bigger picture, I'm, I'm glad it happened because it's shown me the world is much more, there's, it's, it's beautiful. I, I honestly say, do your worst. If you want to scare me, go ahead, fine, whatever. Do your worst, that's fine. But it gave me beautiful, beautiful um, insight in something far greater than the reality we think is just nuts and bolts. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, you know, for every experiencer out there that might be watching, this is, like I said, the first phone call that we had, or actually the first Twitter chat that we had. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. People can kiss your backside. You only have to prove to yourself, and every person out there can prove it to themselves or not prove it. I don't care. But you don't have to prove a thing to anybody about what happened to you. There's people here that are ready to listen and uh, and just rally around you. And that's what we've done. And that's what we're going to continue to do. We're your new friends, just like what John said. Let me bring on uh, our homegirl associate producer, uh, Akashi Chris. She has a question. Hello, Akashi. Hey, hey. guys. First of all, it's been a pleasure just listening to all of your stories. I'm just in awe. So um, I think I know based on this perfect segue, I think you and I have brain linkage, Max McCabe, because this goes right into my question. So um, so I was going to ask you guys, so if, if you were presented with two very distinct alternatives, either the journey that you've been so far exactly as is, no, nothing changed, the good, bad, and the ugly, or complete wipeout of anything that had to do with this. And you continue your life where it's the blue pill, but all the way where all you know is steak. You don't know the slop. You don't even know the slop exists. What, what would you choose? And anybody that wants to take it, I don't get. Come on, y'all. It, Someone, Step, come on, come let's on, go. Max, I think I know what Max is saying, but well, you've been calling on us, so I was just waiting for yes, you to like Priscilla. Priscilla, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm not as good at this as Nathan and DJ. Yeah, yes, you are. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I don't think that I would change it. I, I, it's definitely, you know, as a spiritual person, I grew up in a spiritual household. Um, I've just always been inclined to be like an open spiritualist, I guess. And as a witch, I am very interested in the exploration of other realms. And this is open that, you know what I mean? Like that there's, you know, I know the spirit world is there, but this, um, you know, these extraterrestrials or ultra dimensionals or non-human intelligences are coming from somewhere. And they definitely might be like in a parallel dimension. And that just fascinates me. And I would never really care about this that much if I hadn't had that experience. 
maybe I would just be a medium like my grandma, not just, but, you know, for all the mediums out there, but, but I, I just feel like I'm supposed to do all this. And, you know, there was the scary experiences, but there's some been some beautiful experiences that have happened to me because of this. And they're definitely in the woo box. So I'll save that. <laughs> but the, I have had some really beautiful experiences with these beings um, intentionally through what is known as uh, like journeying. So like a, a meditation journey, I guess, for people that aren't familiar with that. Mm -hmm. But no, I wouldn't change it because I am finally to a point where I can accept it all, no, no matter what, if, it, if, if I sound crazy or not. And I kind of like that about myself now that I've had these experiences that I'm able to meet other people like myself. So I love it. You got a new fam. Uh, you got all kinds of new fam all over mm -hmm. UFO Twitter. This is just like a whole bunch of them right here that have collected around you today and happy to be so. Um, so we wanted to bring in uh, Kev. And, and by the way, can we get a few extra minutes just to get the cabbie questions in here? And then maybe one VIP question from Akashi from the, the, the comments. And then uh, is that okay with everybody? And if it's not, it's totally cool because we won't take one more minute of your time than what you have to give. Yeah? We're not fired? Okay, okay cool. Yeah. David, let me see that bald head. All right. Yeah, there you go. All right. He's okay. All right. So let's uh, thank you so much, Akashi, for another great question. By the way, you're going to be able to see Akashi tomorrow uh, co-hosting with uh, Alien Girl, I believe. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're working on that. So hopefully it's going to be there. All right. We're going to we'll be there tomorrow for you, Akashi. Let's bring on uh, Kevin uh, with the great hair. Kevin. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to worry because of my last bad connection, you know? So actually, I had a question, uh, a serious question, right? Weird. Um, for um, for John. Uh, so um, I was wondering in, this, in the CIA, if there is a behavioral sciences division studying this phenomenon, because I'm, I'm a behaviorist. This is actually a question for my colleagues. Um. I don't know if it's a division size component, but uh, there are uh, uh, medical personnel, um, I would say whole body medical personnel uh, who do study uh, leadership styles and behavior of foreign leaders, because that's an important uh, intelligence uh, question. How will the president uh, in when the president goes overseas and meets a foreign leader, what is that foreign leader like? What is his or her personality? Uh, where do they come from? Uh, so that's that's all part of the uh, prepping uh, a president to meet a foreign leader. And CIA's job is to study foreign leadership styles and behavior. And so I would say, yes, there is. And in fact, as managers at CIA, uh, we took a course called Leadership Styles and Behavior so that we can then uh, position ourselves as more effective managers of things and leaders of people. At CIA, we make a distinction. Uh, we, we lead people and let the people manage the things for you. Uh, and so we don't micromanage at CIA. The, some of the best managers I ever met were my fellow branch chiefs, team chiefs division chiefs uh, in the leadership positions. And so we do have that type of capability as to whether they're still doing um, 
that in terms of this entire UAP question, uh, I don't know. But when I left, uh, yes, that they were still doing that. Awesome. Awesome. I was wondering because behaviorism is the study of how an um, organism interacts with this environment. So, you know, I think it would be a very important division for this phenomenon, you know. Did you hey, want to say something? Thank you. Uh, I <laughs> Uh, thank you, Flair. That was a great question. A serious question. Those of you who thought that Kev does not ask uh, serious questions, you were wrong, okay? <laughs> great question for John, and I think very important. Um, so we're going to bring on your colleague right now, but I also just want to mention for everybody here on the panel, uh, Nathan's new show, Liminal Frames with Exoacadamian. It's going to be a real deep and interesting conversation so please check out liminal frames frames is spelled with a ph because of the mm -hmm. phenomenon uh, yeah uh-huh uh-huh all right let's bring on our buddy everybody loves some debs in their life so let's bring on our researcher contextualizer at study of uaps debs hello debs hi debs. everybody <laughs> y'all hear me okay yes ma'am okay great i know it it's so much harder when you can't see the face, right? Um, so my question has to do with um, being an experiencer, um, which obviously I'm not very public about. Um, so there is, as John said, like this need to be a part of this, but there's also like an almost instant connection that I feel to other experiencers. And I know they've done some research on this, some of the scientists who have worked on this. Um, like even like watching this show this whole time, I just like feel like this protective urge for all of you, like a really strong urge to protect you. And I just wanted to know if you guys felt that also if with not just like this group but like other experiencers because i like feel like this strong bond with all experiencers that's my question let's take the let's take that around go ahead nathan if you had something no i was gonna okay. do the same so yes, who wants okay. to kick that off with us uh david or john uh i i'll chime in on that and say uh absolutely um i have once i was open to it um, I found myself gravitating towards people in places where, you know, it was happening. I mean, I found people within my own town, uh, that had seen beings, you know, like I thought I was unique and actually having, you know, seen something, not just craft, but a being. And I found other people here that witnessed beings as well. Uh, and I just kind of do end up gravitating towards those people in those places, whether or not that's divine or by design. I don't know. You know, when you drive a white car, all you see on the road are white cars because you're looking for it. So it may be along those lines, but I have definitely found that to be true. Nice. Thank you. Did anyone else want to take that? Max? Thanks. Uh, hi, Deb. Um, yeah, I, I actually, the same guy that I mentioned today um, about YouTube and emailing me, in his experience, he actually ran towards, he walked towards one of these orbs. He had the flash of light that looked like lightning in the sky um, on a clear night with no clouds. The next thing appears this orb, which then comes down and through the woods towards him and his girlfriend. Now, obviously, 
with all of the research that's been done. Um, I was worried that if he sees another orb, he might run towards it. And if the thing touches him, he's not he's not going to be in a good way. So, <clears throat> so protection-wise, I've said, just don't run towards the orbs, man. Just stay back a little bit. <laughs> so, so I've done my protection duty. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Obviously, I, I think when people experience this stuff, if it affects you as deeply as it does, if it interacts with you and messes with you, Good luck, <clears throat> good luck coming out of it the other side with your faculties because it takes a hell of a lot to not let it break you mentally. Um, it's by far the biggest test of your mental resolve that you could ever go through. So I can, I can feel a definite affiliation with people that have gone through it too because you feel so alone. So that for that reason alone, that you feel so alone in what you've gone through, to connect with others that have had similar experiences to help them feel not so alone. That's what it's all about, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Not all alone right. anymore, brother. Exactly. Go ahead. What you got? That's what I'd say, Chris, with your question, definitely the red pill. And as long as they stay away from my kids, that's the thing that bothers me. Just stay away from my kids. That's what makes it scary is that they can do what they want to me, but leave my kids alone. But I can't control that. And if they come in and they want to take, that's the scariest thing mm -hmm. of all. So I really feel for you, David, and and for you, Priscilla, if your kids, they've been okay so far. Don't want to pose another question. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I'll mute myself. Well, my no, son has had some good. strange experiences. So um, the whole, like, I didn't put together the whole when he um, kept asking me for, like, around the time period. This one's still hard for me to talk about because it's fresh. Um, the whole waking up outside thing and I couldn't wake anybody up was like super crazy to me and first of all why did you leave me outside you took me from my room put me in my room you know <laughs> but I was questioning whether things were real so I think that's why that happened um because I was like I'm full of shit like I, like imposter syndrome even though I've had all this crazy stuff happen like I'm crazy I'm not you're not full of crap but like you're crazy maybe you know what I mean maybe I'm crazy um so then that happened but then I kind of pieced it together with like the only thing that's happened to my son is that and also he's had a lot of like, like uh, astral attacks, um, which I don't know if I should, I don't think I relate that to this certain phenomenon. I think that is him um, possibly having like the gift of mediumship. And when that happens, you do get a lot of astral attacks because you also attract weird entities here and there um, before you come into your own power, power as a child. So luckily he did say something about going up in an alien bubble, which freaked me out. Um, but there is a Paw Patrol episode where there's alien bubbles. So I'm hoping it's that. And he hasn't mentioned it since. So yes, I can agree with the whole state. You can mess with me, but stay away from my kids. And then also I would take, you know, I get, I do feel very protective over other experiencers. Um, I feel like I'm like a big sister or a mom sometimes, like when people are having scary experiences, I'm just, well, like I want to take it for them, you know, like fuck it, come probe me. Or sorry, I'm so sorry I said that word. Well, screw it, like come probe me, like or get me, do weird things to me because I don't want people to feel that. You know what I mean? I don't want people to wake up afraid because I've been there. And some people are not able to resolve it the way we are talking about it. Some people, it still terrifies them to this day. So I do feel protective and bonded over with other experiencers. And I automatically have like a love for people in the community that come forward with them. I'm feeling in love right now, uh, just listening to uh, 
how you interact with one another. And, uh, yeah, love you guys. John. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I do feel a, a sense of community uh, with us here and with other experiencers, even though our experiences may, may differ. Um, it doesn't invalidate anyone's experience that, you know, I ask myself, well, some people see mantis beings, some people see greys. I see like reptilian saurian beings, but whether they're manifestations of one entity um, manifesting themselves in many ways or actually separate entities, uh, I do feel um, a kinship with those who experience um, these beings, their interactions with these beings. And I actually ask for protection. I actually ask, you know, uh, if there are other entities out there that are not good for me, please protect me. And what showed up is a green cloud, a green cloud in my bedroom that I would wake up and look over and there's this green cloud with um, bright white sparkles inside that cloudy mist. And when I look at it, I felt this sense of like embrace and, and embrace uh, from this cloud. It's holding me close and protecting me. So um, I would share that as, you know, another uh, resource I had was to actually ask them, you know, leave me alone if they're bothering you. And they do tend to leave you alone. <laughs> I used to see uh, a, a, a female entity um, coming into the room. Uh, when I lived in Washington in my condo, I could see it. I seen it here in the Tucson area as well. This this female entity that kind of floats in the corner of your eye, but it's there. And and so I asked it to leave, please leave me alone. <laughs> and they do leave you alone. Um, so they it seems like they do have their best interests at heart. And I think as a group, we have each other's best interests in our hearts too, that we do reach out and try to help those who need help to understand what's going on. This is very powerful stuff. Uh, Akashi Chris has uh, a, a two questions from the chat for you guys. And I'm just, uh, I'm for clamped right now. Go ahead, Akashi. He loves the, that word for clamped. <laughs> um, so we have, um, there's a couple of people have been waiting a while. So Indiana, Indiana has a question for John Ramirez. Regarding the veil thinning, can you expand on this? Do you know if meditation is key to initiating contact with beings? How should we practice? Can anyone do it? It's a lot of questions, but it's good. Well, you know, and uh, I would put it this way. Everybody's a remote viewer. You just don't know that you can remote view. Uh, you can be trained to remote view. And everyone is, can, can meditate and do mindful meditation. It's just a matter of practice, practice, practice. And so uh, I think uh, any situation where uh, your mind is separated from your corporeal body, like in during sleep, or like, in fact, it can be chemically induced as well, or it can be in a, uh, uh, in a um, sensory deprivation tank. I always wanted to do that experience of going to a float tank and then meditate to see where I end up. Uh, if you go to the Moreau Institute, um, you actually go into a, a, a small kind of enclosure with your headsets on, uh, listening to binaural, binaural beats. But there you're enclosed and you go into a certain state of mind. 
so I think meditation is a great way to do it. And I was taught uh, uh, by a woman in, uh, who now lives in uh, Vicenza, Italy. She's been there for 20 years. She's American from Charlotte, North Carolina, but she lived there. And I shared it with uh, other folks uh, who direct messaged me of how did I learn how to meditate? So I might put that in a general Twitter on my, uh, as a tweet for me. This is a wonderful meditation. It's easy to do. It takes about 10 minutes. We'd appreciate you. Try that. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'd appreciate you to come back on Twitter because you have to see the video. Akashi made a video for all of you guys. Uh, have you <laughs> seen your video, John? Thank you. You had to bring it up. I was it was awesome. No, I haven't. Okay. She I made you. I more question, but go she, ahead. Steve. I will. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I digress. John, she made you James Bond. Um, so there's like a whole video where you're James Bond. Uh, there's me and Max riding a motorcycle. Uh, there's, or is it, was it David was also in our video? David was in our video on the tower. Yes. Right. And, and then there was one, oh, that's right. And then Priscilla was uh, singing with uh, Nathan and in, in the, the car, car karaoke. Yeah. So yeah, each of you have a video that you can find on Twitter and I will DM it to you. I'm sorry. Uh, Akashi has one more question before oh, no, we close no it up. So we had yes, another one kind of then the same route with, from uh, Chris Vidal. Question for the entire panel. Is there a connection between astral projection and the orbs that we see? ETs, UTs, astral projecting their consciousness from wherever. That's a big one to end with. It's a big I can start if you want. <laughs> um, yes, ma'am. Because I've, I've had uh, similar uh, thoughts mm -hmm. and I read a lot about these orbs because that's the first thing that I saw that was in the sky. And I, through things that I've read, it is supposedly um, a projection of the consciousness and the light body of these beings coming. And so it's like a conscious, like it's alive with their consciousness. And sometimes they're what is referred to as like their light body or their astral body um, or etheric body. There's a lot of ways people explain it and the layers of our bodies or a non-corporeal body system, I guess, which is a lot energetic. So I think that a lot of times orbs are there kind of like in the sense of like, like a drone, maybe not like mm -hmm. our little nerdy drones that you buy at Hobby Lobby, but you know, like, yeah. like it's their version of kind of like scouting us. Like somebody mentioned they saw a football shaped thing, you know, um, our size thing. And I think that they are a projection of them and they have a way to use that orb as their uh, a way of communication without freaking us out as much because when you see a being it's going to freak you out if you see an orb it's going to freak you out a little but you're still going to be more open to an orb because people talk about orbs all the time and sometimes maybe it's just easier for them to send a little orb of themselves or of their consciousness to us to communicate or just check on us sometimes i feel like they're just saying hey like sometimes i feel like they just do drive-bys to check on you it's super weird but yeah that's my take on the orbs Love it. Um, anyone else? Uh, I, you know, since you touched on astral and things like that, and to mm -hmm. kind of tie it back into what John was discussing about, you know, meditations and uh, accessing the realm of consciousness, you know, outside of the physicality of life, you know, dreams and visions and, um, you know, the astral realm or tapping into, you know, the consciousness realm. And I think that there's something to that. I, I think that I discussed with 
uh, Priscilla just real briefly about how she kind of encouraged me to address that side of things that, you know, there is a metaphysical aspect to this. And, you know, um, I do think that you can access it. Now, are they their own independent beings? I say, yes, they also can access it. So are we seeing their conscious projection into this realm and they have some technology that enables them to do it? I have no idea. I've heard that idea floated around, but I mean, there's nothing I could just absolutely say that's like, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. But there does seem to be a connection between, you know, whether I, I hate to include it because I don't, I don't really condone like drug abuse, but hallucinogens, meditation, astral projection, these types of things do, do seem to connect on a conscious level to these things. There seems to be a connection there. Wow. I'll, I'll add this, um, talking about astral projection and orbs. Um, when I go into a very, very deep mindful meditation, I visualize me, this light body within me. And uh, you've heard me said this, say this before. I believe that we have a a sentient light being with whom we have a symbiotic relationship in each, each of us and religions call it a soul or the, the inner voice or our, our um, subconscious or whatever you want to call it. When you separate um, your corporeal self from this light being and you meditate as that light being, uh, I can actually feel this swirling energy around me and uh, I believe that at that point, uh, I'm an orb somewhere else. That I, I am also an orb somewhere else. Uh, and so I can project myself astrally somewhere else. And I've gone to some very interesting places. Um, uh, for example, I always see this ice planet somewhere. And I go to this ice planet and I'm exploring this ice planet. You, can you, you are your own best astronaut. You don't need a spaceship to go out there. And if you get into this meditation practice, uh, creating what's known as a Merkaba field uh, around you, that you, you can go and travel wherever you need to go. And I think those who are coming to us have mastered this as a means of communication to us. And that if we get ourselves into that state, that we have a closer communion with them and that you can go to some really interesting places. And I'll leave it at that. I agree 100%. And I wanted to mention the Merkaba, but I don't know. That's like a whole nother episode, honestly. So yeah, um, but I'm glad you said that because I do agree. And I feel the same way when I'm doing um, conscious astral projection. Amazing. Max, did you have anything? Thanks. I wanted to just mention the skull experiment that was done not far from here in Norfolk in the 90s, I believe. Um, if anyone hasn't looked up the skull experiment, I think it's worth taking a look at that. This, um, this was conducted over many years, and they were seeing orbs in the room, I believe, um, alien, what appeared to be alien, typical greys, but luminous, and lots of objects passing through solid objects in the room. Um, so I just suggest... Uh, looking into the skull experiment and that will just confuse you even more <laughs> as all of this stuff does you, you look for an answer it opens up 10 more questions 
go down that's, this way and then that's you, what i love about it it's, right. it's, it's like the eternal <laughs> mystery that just always evades answers hence why i say that you know the scan data the blue shift and all of that stuff is at least something we can actually tangibly go into and actually look at and progress with the rest of it is so mysterious um the other thing is with orbs i heard uh, chris bledsoe recently um spoke i believe with his son ryan is it mm -hmm. and i right. think he spoke about um these orbs being really close to him and some of them turning into like being aliens if i don't even know what words to use because we i don't want to put things in boxes it's too many connotations and assumptions just in a word but these beings appeared to him that would come from an orb and then suddenly and finally just on this orb thing it's it this is the thing that bugs me so bad and i i avoid talking about it because i know that, uh, you know as we all know there's like a layer cake of the levels of craziness so somebody once said to me if you ever talk about what happened to you he said don't tell people the the crazy stuff he said just tell them at best that you saw this ufo your girlfriend saw it your daughter saw it your neighbor saw it but, but don't tell them all the other stuff because that's just weird well that's that yeah he was saying because people basically he was trying to protect me from ridicule and but no no every little detail counts i don't care how crazy it sounds so Here's, here's the nuts thing, the nut, nuttiest of all things. Um, after the first three nights with the UFO of us, I go online and I'm searching for anything that could be what I saw, what was over me, what called me outside. And then suddenly on autoplay on YouTube, about a week later, as I'm sitting there, up, up, up pops a video and immediately all the hairs went on end. I literally became overly emotional. I'm looking at the very same object that was 60 feet over my head that came back over our neighbor's house and over the other side. And um, if somebody could just please mute if there's a dog barking in the background. Go ahead, Max. Um, so the object that I was looking at was exactly the same object that was here. It wasn't just the same object. It started off as an orb. And it was filmed by several different people all over a city in 2011, January. Um, so uh, what happens is this orb is hanging over the city for a good hour or so, according to all the witnesses, came down slowly, lowered itself down. And then somehow, this this is the crazy bit of two, it, it transforms into the exact same object that was over here the golden spinning top and mark that word spinning top shape vertical shards of light sticking emanating from the center yeah uh, <laughs> and it, it glides about the same height over the buildings that it was over here and then it does what originally drew my attention up back there to the sky the double flash of light just boom boom and it shoots straight up now, it shoots up and leaves a trail, a trace line, just like I saw the orb do, the orbs do. And then on some of the angles that were captured, you see these balls of red light making these strange formations and then fading out. Now, each, every, each and every part of the characteristics of what this thing does was exactly what I witnessed, but in a different order. So you had the orb 
transformed somehow into the same spinning top object, exactly the same as what was over me. I'm up close and personal. I, it was absolutely, uh, it's not like I misidentified. That's the same one. Um, and then it shoots off with a trail and then it has the red balls of light. I saw a red ball of light down here a few days after the first three nights. So to me, I feel like this is the bit that drives me nuts. I feel like I'm the only human being on planet Earth that knows, I know, that what happened in Jerusalem in January 2011, the world has brushed it off as a hoax for a good reason. I understand for a good reason. But it was real. That's the same thing that was here. So I can't get my head around that uh, other than presuming that this thing is trying to manipulate society as a whole through what we may call religious experiences. We touched on that earlier. And if it is, well, it just so happened to be over the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, 2011. Um, we know that people have been paid off, offered to shut up or move along. Nothing to see here when there's been mass sightings, right? It's happened time and time again. We know that. We know that. Well, one of the witnesses, one of the witnesses, about a year later, two years later, he uploads what is clearly a fake video, clearly a hoax, and then he disappears. I've been trying to find him, Eligal, online for years. There are some other people that filmed it. Um, and because some of those teenagers happened, or young mid-20s, young 20-year-olds, because those kids, Israeli kids, happened to be going to a film school, the whole world brushed them off as hoaxes too. So how many times do you have to say, well, okay, one of those guys may, maybe, but not, wait, I was in Star Wars this last year. Does that mean that I'm making this up because I was I, I did some acting? Does that mean that that means I must be lying? Of course not. So just because these kids were at film school doesn't mean that what they filmed and saw and claimed they saw is fake just because they're film students. That's rubbish. And then you have other people filmed it from a hotel room. You have witnesses all over Jerusalem saying they saw it. All of these angles line up, but you have continuous fake videos being uploaded to YouTube even recently, which means there's a concerted effort, an actual effort going on to, to discredit that, that situation that really happened. So the whole world, don't brush it off, look into it, let's find these people, let's talk to them again. CCTV weather station footage was missing from Israel that looked over that region at that time. We know we know that they pay people off and threaten people to shut up, whoever they are. Just take a second look. That's all I'm saying because it's you, real. It happened. You don't. You don't need them, Max, because you got us. Yeah. <laughs> you don't <man>. need them. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to get off my chest because it's I'm so with. I'm with you. We we mm. talked about that. You got us. I don't care if they ever turn up. You got us. Yeah. You were so, in Star right. Wars. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> Uh, I, I can say now. Are we gonna brush by this? I need more info. Yeah, Got to be a follow-up episode for that. I thought the same thing. Like the story was interesting. Then he's like, "I was in Star Wars," and I'm like, "Right? He's he's an actor, man. He's a legend." Was, it was an accidental thing. I didn't. I can say so much because it has been. It's publicly accessible um, on IMDb, and I know that um, Diego Luna, the star of the show. Uh, said some stuff publicly so i'm allowed to say i guess what's already public knowledge but it's um but it's it's called andor and it should be out by september of 2022 this year um 
Yeah, it was six. It was only six weeks on set, but it was amazing. So I, I'm just going to say, because I can't say much about it, because I signed an NDA, I'll get in big trouble. But I can just <laughs> say that they're a fantastic production, fantastic. Toby Haynes, uh, if you're listening, <laughs> um, and some other people I can't mention. Really, really good guys to work with. Stunt team were amazing. Sets were amazing. Pinewood Studios, Ivor Heath is amazing. And it's a great storyline, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. So you got to watch it. I'm all over it, man. Yeah. Cl closing comments by my brother, Nathan. Yeah. yeah I just want to thank uh, Max and John, David, and Priscilla for joining us today and uh, spending this time with us. I think we could all uh, spend many, many hours with you and enjoy every single minute. Um, it has meant a great deal to me personally to hear your stories, and I know it has meant a tremendous amount to uh, my fellow uh, co-hosts and our, and our audience as well. Uh, John, you used the word uh, communion, I think, earlier, and I feel a sense of that uh, here very much. And uh, I would like to say that um, the stories that you have shared are now living inside of us. You know, So while we may not have experienced it ourselves, I think we, we feel a light with the experiences that you have had. And we want to be additional nodes in the network, if you will, uh, to spread this information and connectivity uh, with as many people as we can. It's powerful. And I want to thank you uh, again for what you've done today. And beyond the uh, flex off that we're definitely going to have between Flair and Max, that's going to be on a future episode. We, we would like to do uh, an episode with each of you. Um, we, we did get to have one with David. We haven't had one with Max, John, Priscilla, but we, yeah, we'd like to do an episode with each of you. And so we'll, we'll coordinate with that. And if you didn't have a terrible time in this round table, then maybe it's going to happen. So, uh, but any, I, Nathan said it best. So thank you so much, everybody. We were honored by your present and, and sharing with us. We feel like you are part of, uh, the cab family now, and we're here to support experiencers and everybody knows that they can reach me uh on my phone whenever they want to so for uh nathan for akashi chris john priscilla the quantum witch go check her out online go check out max's star wars homes my man <laughs> my neighbor david john lanier and flarius kevin and the new up oh, her new show called deb's data dojo is going to be on uh, our channel here and uh one love oh well to everybody peace out first then Thank one you love. So much. And we'll see you all down the road. Take us out, Nathan.